today on The Journey. And this book is a fresh look at what real Christian living is all about. A life that overflows with the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. A life that's engaged in Christ. A rail car will rust away when left by itself on a side track. But when it's fully engaged to a powerful locomotive, it can carry precious cargo and climb distant mountains. Today, Ron Moore proclaims that that kind of power is available to the believer, as revealed by Paul in the book of Colossians. Also, we want you to know about a companion devotional to this series. There you'll learn how to share in Christ's overflowing life, a life full of joy and passion. It's available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with the message, Overflowing, Fully Engaged, On the Journey. We're going to start a study of a book that gives us a compelling reason to step it up. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. Let's just work our way with this introduction through the first eight verses of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Now, you know, if you've studied scripture before that the salutations of the New Testament letters are always at the beginning. We always put our salutations at the end. Now, sincerely, Ron or in Christ, Ron or whatever. But in the New Testament, they were always at the beginning. And here Paul says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's not one of the 12 original apostles, but you'll remember in Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus Christ as Christ stopped him in his tracks. Paul was on his way to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus, and Christ stopped him, and Christ commissioned him, sent him out to be an apostle. And so Paul would say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. But by the grace of of God. I am what I am. Look at verse 3. Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel, Paul says, is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, this introduction to Colossians puts before us some critical truths that we have to nail down before we get into the rest of the letter. More important than that, it puts before us some critical truths that we have to nail down in our lives if we're going to experience a fully engaged, overflowing life like Jesus has for us. Paul's going to tell us through this book that when a Christian hears the word gospel, there should be a quickening of the pulse. Paul's going to call us in this letter to a new level of a Christian walk. He's going to call us to be fully engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we take that message to a world that desperately needs to hear it. So let's focus on this. 
What does it mean to be fully engaged? As I read these first verses, there are four things that stand out. First, you got to understand what it means. Then you got to share it. You have to deliver it. Then you have to protect it. And then when you're engaged in the gospel, there's going to be some fruit. You're going to bear some fruit. There are going to be some deliverables in your life. Those four things. Let's go through them. Here's the first one. If you're truly engaged in the gospel, you have to first understand it. Look at verse 6. Paul says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. The message of the gospel is about God's grace. The gospel is God who loves us so much that he would offer us a free gift that we could not earn, that we don't deserve. The gospel is the story of a God who loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us to pay the penalty for our sin so we wouldn't have to pay that penalty ourselves so that we could have a relationship with the living God. The gospel is a story of grace. Do you understand God's grace? When you understand God's grace, there is a great engagement in the gospel. See, the gospel is a story of a great rescue. Look at verse 13 and 14. Here's the gospel. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I think that should cause some celebration, shouldn't it? When a person comes to Christ, when you realize who you are in Christ, when you realize that you have been rescued from darkness and you've been placed in the kingdom of the son he loves, that should cause, shouldn't it? Quickening of the pulse, that should cause some emotions of thanksgiving to overflow from your heart. But that's just the start. To be engaged in the gospel doesn't mean that we just understand it, but we become a carrier of it. We deliver it. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. You learned it, Paul says, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. The Apostle Paul never visited Colossae in person. Paul intentionally visited churches that were on the main roads so that those churches would be planted and the gospel could be strategically diffused throughout the world. Colossae wasn't on the main road. But there was a man named Epaphras who went to a city about 100 miles to the east, the city of Ephesus. And he listened to this message of Paul. Maybe he was there on business. Maybe he was visiting family. We don't know. Maybe he went there just to hear Paul. But he trusted in Jesus Christ. And he went back to that little second-rate town of Colossae. And he told everybody he knew. And the church in Colossae started because of one man named Epaphras. And we have this great letter because of that one man. A person fully engaged becomes a deliverer of the gospel. I was just thinking about this. It's so obvious. But the gospel 
always starts with one person. Think about the gospel being spread out throughout all the cities of the world, large and small, because one person overflowing, totally engaged with Jesus Christ, took that message into that area. Epaphras was fully engaged and overflowing with Christ, and he takes the gospel back, and the church, Colossae, is started. Are you a deliverer of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're going to be engaged in the gospel, you've got to understand God's grace. You've got to be a committed deliverer of the message. Thirdly, you've got to protect it. When a believer is fully engaged in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is such a precious thing that they are not willing to water it down one bit. They're not willing to let it be changed one word. When this letter was written in 60 AD, the church in Colossae was about 10 years old. And Epaphras had taken the gospel back and church was off and running. But some heresy had seeped into the church. And it wasn't just one issue. It was like a whole truckload of heresy had been backed up to the door and dumped. And so here's what Epaphras does. He cares so much about the gospel and he cares so much about the church. He goes to consult with Paul as to what to do. Paul happens to be now in prison in Rome and says, Paul, I need your help. Here's a church that is being destroyed from the inside out with heresy. And so the main purpose of Paul's writing this letter was to refute these problems in the church. The problems are called in theology the Colossian heresy. And there are about five main things. Now, they're not bullet-pointed in the book, but you see them as Paul addresses different things. Here's the first one, legalism. There were Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians there, and the Jewish Christians said, here's the deal. If you're really going to be a Christian, what do you have to do? You have to follow the laws of the Old Testament. You have to do this, you don't do this, you do this, you don't do this. Legalism will strangle grace and has to be dealt with. Paul does that. I grew up in a church where the gospel was presented, but there was a lot of legalism. I understand that in my background. For us, the main issues, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't dance. And if you didn't do those three things, you're probably all right. If you didn't go to movies either, now you're really all right. So I grew up thinking that a Christian could never do those things. I grew up thinking if a person ever took a drink or ever smoked, they were going straight to hell. Now, obviously, that's not true. A lot of legalism, and it was just killing the church in Colossae. Another one was what's called asceticism, depriving oneself for acceptance, kind of beating oneself up, denying oneself, not in order to honor God, but in order to be accepted by Him. Again, strangles grace. Here's a third one, what was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is addressed in other books, like Galatians. Gnosticism... It's people looking for a deeper and secret knowledge. And if you just know more, and if you get the secret handshake, then you got it. I don't know if you've seen this best-selling book called The Secret. 
Listen to the blurb on the back. You hold in your hands a great secret. It has been passed down through the ages, highly coveted, hidden, lost, stolen, and bought for vast sums of money. The century-old secret has been understood by some of the most prominent people in history. Now the secret is being revealed to the world, and you can have it for only 1995. As you learn the secret, you will come to know how you can have, be, and do anything you want. You will come to know who you really are. You will come to know the true magnificence that awaits you in your life, the secret. That's just a modern-day attempt at Gnosticism. Colossians were dealing with that. Some deep knowledge that you need to have. Here's another thing that the Colossians were dealing with, angel worship. And the main thing they were dealing with, the denial of Christ's deity had seeped into the teaching. And that's one of the things Paul is going to hit head on. In fact, one of the greatest, most profound treatises in Scripture of who Jesus is is going to be found right here in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. Through this book, Paul is going to present Jesus in such a compelling way, such a powerful way, such a supreme way that if we grasp this life with Jesus the way Paul presents it in this book, then we're not going to be tomorrow where we are today. In this book, we learn what it is to be filled up with Christ. In fact, look at a verse real quick here. Chapter 2, verse 9. Look at this one. If there was a verse that kind of summed up Colossians, here it is. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. There's the truth. Now here's a great truth. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over all power and authority. In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's good news, isn't it? Here's even better news. You have been given the fullness of Christ. You don't have to stumble along any longer. You don't have to live an empty life. You don't have to be dogged by the same old sins. You can be overflowing because you have within you the fullness of Christ. And that's not a secret. That's the truth of God's Word. Now, one more thing. If you're going to be fully engaged in the gospel, you've got to understand grace. If you're going to be fully engaged in the gospel, you can't keep it in. You're going to tell others about it. It's something so marvelous in your life, so powerful in your life, you've got to tell others about it. You've got to protect it. You've got to make sure that the essence of the gospel is never, never messed with. And here's one other thing. When you're engaged in the gospel, you're going to bear some fruit. People are going to see it. You're going to have some deliverables in your life. Real quickly, let me go through some of the deliverables that Paul talks about here. Look back at verse 2. Notice how he describes the Colossians. He says, to the holy and faithful brothers. Let's look at that word first, holy. It's a word we use all the time in the church. We sing it. We read it. We talk about what does it mean to be holy? Well, the word means specifically to be set apart. And that being set apart really has two aspects to it. 
One is positional. When we become a believer, we are made holy by Christ himself. We are set apart. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he carried us over and set us apart in the kingdom of the son he loves. And when we truly trust in Christ, our position cannot change. We have been made holy by him, and we will be in that position until we see him face to face. That is our position in Christ. We cannot be any more holy in our position than we are now. But there is a second part to being holy. There is position and there is experience. Being set apart doesn't mean you sit still. There is an experience of growth that should be taking place. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, so then just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Okay, that's the position. You've received Christ Jesus as Lord. Then continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. That's the experience. The position is you've received him. The experience is get rooted and built up and live for Jesus Christ. So you see the two things. There's this position of being holy, and then there's the experience of living our holiness out. And then Paul puts forth what one commentator calls the trilogy of virtue, faith, hope, and love. Look what Paul says in verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints and the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up in heaven for you and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is the confidence we have and the trust we have in God. Faith is the soul looking upward. And think about this. What is faith based upon? Faith is based upon one thing, the finished work of Christ on the cross. Faith looks Upward, love looks outward. And that love is demonstrated in all the things that we do in our life. I won't take time to read it, but 1 Corinthians 13 is a great description of the do's and the don'ts of love. Hope looks forward. Hope is who we are in Jesus Christ, knowing that and looking forward to the time we will see Him face to face. That certain hope of heaven. And where does Paul say our hope is stored up? Stored up in heaven, isn't it? Why is it in heaven? Because that's where Jesus is. His death ensures my sins forgiven. His resurrection ensures I will follow him in a new life after death. His ascension reminds me that he went to prepare a place for me. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father and he intercedes for me. That's why I pray in his name. So he takes my prayer to the Father. And he's waiting there for me. And one day he's going to come back, either through death or his coming again, and take me to be where he is. Our hope is stored up in heaven. And our hope is stored up in Christ. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? One who experiences his power, peace, truth, and joy? 
Well, that's what Paul wanted for the Colossian church, and his letter to them still resonates with our hearts today. Let it resonate with yours by claiming your copy of Ron Moore's devotional titled Overflowing. This digital companion to the audio series we're currently enjoying will fill your soul with security, commitment, and liberty in Christ. You can get yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. So take your Bibles and turn to Colossians. And this evening, what we're going to do is consider a prayer that Paul prays as he begins this book. It's found in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This prayer is going to help us see what a fully rescued believer looks like, how he or she lives their lives, and is also going to be a prayer that we can pray for ourselves and for others. Sometimes do you wonder how you pray for yourself? How do we get below those surface prayers into some serious spiritual issues? This prayer is going to help us do this. So chapter 1, let me start with verse 3 just to set the context. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for the saints and the faith and love that spring from hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And then Paul says, for this reason, because we've heard all those things, because of what God is doing in your life, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, Paul does not mean that he literally has not stopped. He's using a figure of speech to say every day we continually pray for you. You are constantly in our prayers. Now, here's the content of the prayer. We are praying and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now let's stop there a second. Think of those three things that Paul is praying for. In our prayer, we are petitioning God, and we're asking that He fill you with what? The knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom, and what else? Understanding. Let's think about that. Three things that Paul is praying for these fully rescued believers. First of all, he is praying that they are filled with experiential knowledge. Now, it's important to note, when Paul talks about knowledge here, he says, I'm not talking about head knowledge. You've got enough of that. But he's saying, I'm talking about applicational knowledge. You need to take what you know and apply it, or otherwise you're going to get run over by every false teacher. Flip over to chapter 2, verse 9. Here's a key verse in this book, 9 and 10. For in Christ, he says, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given the fullness of Christ, 
who is the head over every power and authority. Christ is complete. And you, fully rescued believers, you have been given the fullness of Christ. You are complete in Christ. So Paul is asking God to fill these believers, to let them know the fullness of Christ. And the first thing he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now here's what he's praying for. A deep understanding of the kind of person God wants us to be and the things that he wants us to do. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And to help you experience the abundant life, we invite you to download a PDF copy of Overflowing. It's a powerful reminder that Christ has provided all you need for life and godliness, a life filled to overflowing. Overflowing is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.